This is Something to Carp About, the podcast that brings Carpinteria California to you. I'm your host, Dennis Mitchell, and together we'll explore the town's attractions and issues. We're nearing the end of summer and school has just begun, so we'll bone up on how it's going over at the local school district. Why is Carpinteria beautiful? We'll find out, and we'll also take a look at where things stand with the controversial cannabis industry. It's a big step, or rather a lot of different steps, you take when you make the changeover from elementary school to junior high. The first thing anyone notices on the first day at junior high is people. Lots and lots of people. The intellectual backbone of any community is its schools. It truly takes a village to put together and maintain an education system that works for everyone, and Carpinteria is no exception. To learn more about learning locally, and to find out why our school district is among the best in the state, I went over to their headquarters on Linden Avenue and spoke to Superintendent Diana Rigby. Diana, why don't we start with you telling us about your history with Carpinteria, how you got here, and how you came to be the head of the school district. Yes, I'm so lucky to live in Carpinteria. Mm -hmm. It is paradise. Mm -hmm. And I moved in Carpinteria in 1976 when I was first uh, beginning my career in education. And I worked in uh, Ventura County in Wainini School District Mm -hmm. and uh, Ventura County Superintendent of Schools. Uh, And then I moved to uh, Santa Barbara School District. So I've worked in both, um, both counties. And I, we were here for 30 years, and I raised a family. And then I moved back to the East Coast uh, for 14 years, where I served as an assistant superintendent and superintendent. And I was ready to retire when the opening uh, came in Carpinteria, and um, I received a phone call indicating that there was an opening that would I be interested in. I said, absolutely. So I was thrilled to move back to Carpinteria, and I was thrilled to be offered the opportunity to be the school superintendent. Anybody could be asked, what would be the one thing that would make you put off retirement? A job in Carpinteria. Yes, es mi sueño. (laughs) what I tell everyone. Yes, absolutely. Uh, A new school year has just started, so tell us what your biggest challenges were in getting it all together this year, and were there any that were unique to this year as opposed to other years? Well, post-COVID, it has been a real challenge in uh, staffing. So since March, we have recruited and hired 79 classified and certificated staff members, and we only have close to 300 employees. So our HR department has done an incredible job in uh, supporting uh, supporting the schools and making sure that we have um, the best, you know, the top quality teachers as well as the support staff mm-hmm. to open to open their classrooms. Right. Uh, and one of the big news items during July and August was your two job fairs uh, and you filled lots of open positions. And I was seeing all during the pandemic that bus drivers of all types are particularly in short supply. Is that why you came up with the $2,000 signing bonuses? Because I guarantee you that caught everyone's attention. Well, yes, we needed to uh, provide an incentive because we're in a very unique situation where we're located geographically. We're the most southern district in Santa Barbara County, and most of our employees either live in uh 
Goleta, Santa Barbara, or in Ventura County, and the cost of commuting has increased. Um, the cost of living in Carpinteria has increased. Uh, the cost of uh, the the construction, so the time, has increased. And other districts are hiring all around us because they also receive COVID money. So it, it was deeply competitive to hire staff. And that's why we're uh, struggling and we still have openings. As we've opened school, uh, we've been grateful that we have enough um, certificated staff, teachers, although we're still looking for a Spanish high school teacher as well as culinary arts. But our support staff, we are struggling with, we need more instructional assistants, we need more bus drivers, we need more custodians, security personnel, food service workers. Might there be another job fair in the offing? Uh, we are considering that, yes. Okay. and But the bonus will continue for this school year. Okay, got you. Yes. Uh, and uh, you referred to something I was going to ask you anyway, being in Carpinteria where it's not impossible, but really hard to find a place to live. The people who are applying for these jobs, when you wind up with teachers, bus drivers, whoever, tend to live somewhere else. Yes, I would say uh, 90% of our staff live, wow. live outside of Carpinteria. But you do get some local bites, don't you? Absolutely, and we appreciate that. Okay. Uh, I saw the headline recently that the Canalino School got some much-needed improvements by way of funding approved by voters. How is the overall infrastructure of the district, and what are the priorities for using funds like that? We've been uh, really fortunate to have so much support from our communities, both Carpentry and Summerlin, and they passed in 2014 uh, $90 million for modernization as well as rebuilding Summerlin School. So uh, for the past seven, eight years, we've been engaged in projects. And of course, summertime is when we can do the, truly the modernization projects. So um, we have been working on Canalino. And this last summer, we had to have two construction crews to finish uh, modernizing the early childhood center, which is the kindergarten classrooms, as well as the office and restrooms. And um, we were very nervous about uh, completing on time because it was really a tight, tight schedule. We were done Sunday night by 5 p.m. So, um, wow. and now we're still working with a punch list and there are still items that need to be um, uh, fixed. But uh, for the most part, the classrooms were ready for the students. The school was ready for the students. And then uh, the high school, we built a beautiful new administration building that was ready on time. So we're pleased about that. And so what that means is that moving forward, we will be taking out uh, four portables that are really ugly as you enter the, the high school campus and redoing uh, the um, student high school, the parking lot. That will be taken care of. And then we repainted main school, which is a desperate need of um, exterior painting, but we are only able to complete half of that. The second half will be completed next summer. Okay. And then the Summerland Rebuild is the really big project. It's a beautiful school, and uh, we are making enough progress that we will be completed on time, on schedule, on budget uh, by December. So currently, our Summerland families uh, have been, um, they've been at school at the main school, and uh, they've been really patient and understanding that we need those extra months to uh, finish that it's job. A, it's a unique calendar you have. Uh, you said uh, three months of summer is basically what you get to get everything done. Yes. You're in that phase. Now you've got nine months 
to kind of plan ahead, see what is done and what isn't finished. Yes. Uh, what is going to be huge next summer, besides the Summerlin build, which I've been seeing the headlines and the photos. It's extremely encouraging. Well, we definitely will finish the main project. And then we will be working with our school board to assessing where we're at at this point in terms of our um, Measure U funding and what the remaining projects are. We still have, at Aliso, we still have portables for kindergarten classrooms, and that project needs to be completed. However, it's impacted by the flood control, the floodplain. So we have to wait until some adjustments have been made about the identifying which buildings are in the floodplain. Okay. I don't know if it's proper to say Carpinteria is self-conscious about the way it looks and the way it's presented. And Carpinteria Beautiful uh, does a tremendous job keeping the town upgraded and looking nice and neat and clean. I'm guessing the school district indirectly benefits from the town's just pride in wanting to be a nice place. Absolutely. And our children and our families deserve to be surrounded by beauty in a learning environment that supports them. And so we work really hard in um, maintaining our facilities and keeping them clean and rebuilding when we can. And so we are so grateful for that $90 million support. And we want to make sure that we provide the very best for our students and families. Have COVID safety rules been a challenge? Seemed like there were a lot of changes coming down the line right up to the beginning of the school year. CDC kept changing things, uh, variants come and go. Uh, that has to have been a major, major challenge. It was a major challenge uh, because it was ever-changing. However, we, again, are very fortunate to be supported by Santa Barbara County Public Health, and uh, we follow their guidelines. And so we have had... Um, weekly meetings with uh, our county superintendents and county public health to determine how best to implement those guidelines at, in the schools. So we are not alone in determining what that's going to look like for our students and staff. Okay, now you still have to follow weekly numbers as they come out of the health district. Say we have a spike in a couple of weeks. Do children have to go back to wearing masks or being vaccinated? I mean, this is what I mean. The rules keep fluctuating. We, we follow the rules of public health, and public health follows the rules from California Department of Public Health. Okay. So they have changed um, in this summer, they've changed, and they will change again, and they will let us know what they look like and sound like. But right now, we are uh, supporting, the, we're implementing the rules that are in place, and uh, we encourage everyone to be vaccinated. Okay. CARP is easily the most family-oriented town I've ever lived in, and I'm wondering if that's reflected in the curriculum in any way. Is there anything that's peculiar to that, or is it pretty much what's required by the state, or is there a little bit of both? I would say it's um, reflected in the support we receive from the schools and the parent involvement we have in schools. Our parents are very involved in their children's education. They all participate in all of our parent activities, which we have quite a number of family activities. In addition, we do have a Carpentria Family School that is located on the campus of Canalino. And those families are particularly active in uh, working with teachers and providing activities for students. I'm curious at that term, family school. Uh, can you expound on that a little? Sure. Um, I believe it was started more than 20 years ago, and it was around a concept in which uh, families would be more involved than typically in a public school in their child's education. But now as we've progressed, 
the best practices from family school are now implemented in all our schools. Okay. So, for example, it's very typical for us to have, we have family picnics um, a couple times a month at all the elementary schools. We have parent volunteers in all of our elementary classrooms. We have parents involved in decision-making at the school sites. We have parents involved in educational opportunities. We have a strong partnership with the Carpinteria Children's Project in which we have a family resource center. And so we provide support for families in need in particular areas if they are struggling with medical care or they're struggling with uh, rent or they're struggling with food or they're struggling with some mental health services then we partner with the parent support from the uh, Carpinteria uh, Children's Project. And we're going to touch on that and a little more of your partnerships here in a little bit. So it's like I know when I was raising a child and I was very proactive in his education but I was in Las Vegas, and that tended to end at the desk where they were doing their homework. You're bringing the parents right to the school. That yes. You can't be much more proactive than that. Yes, and um, we all know that the more the parents involved, the better the schools will be. And so we really encourage it and support it. And, of course, we missed it during COVID, and it's been very challenging uh, with the volunteer uh, requirements. But we're moving forward, and we're excited about um, having parents be more involved as we move forward. Carpinteria is much like the rest of Santa Barbara County and being very culturally diverse. And you'd said you're, you're hurting for a Spanish teacher or two. Um, that has to be uh, something you keep your finger on the pulse with uh, of our local Latino community uh, and, and serving the needs of that audience. And what we're really uh, proud about is that we have a very effective dual language immersion program, both at Canalino and Aliso. Uh, at Aliso, it's the second year, but at Canalino, our students in the dual language immersion program are now in fifth grade. So they've been involved in this program for six years. Uh, they read and write both in both languages. And when they move to the middle school, they'll also have content classes, both in Spanish and English. And we're very proud of that program. That's tremendous and huge props for uh, the program at Aliso recently to celebrate the 75th year desegregation. Yes. I mean, that's putting your heart where, you know, where it matters really is. We referred to this earlier. And one thing that never ceases to impress me is all the different partnerships and coalitions you're involved with. You, you went at length on the Children's Project, which is, just blows me away. Uh, you got the Arts Center. Very long list of really helpful projects and groups that benefit uh, from that partnership. How do you screen and qualify those efforts that the district should be a part of? What are the qualifying characteristics of anyone who would want to come to you and, and need to partner with you? I, I think what unites our partnerships is uh, the collective uh, focus on supporting students and families. I think that we share that, that goal and that it's really uh, a mission that we are um, transforming lives of children uh, through education. And I think that's reflected in all our partnerships. So we, we share the same goals, is that we are working um, each day to support families to be successful in living in Carpinteria. Okay. Uh, just saw the PUSH program in conjunction with the skate yes. park. Yes. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's incredible. It's, it's, I mean, 
it's so exciting and what's going to be, you know, it's hard for us to turn kids away. We're going to have such a wonderful response from our students and we have to start small to be successful and that's going to be the hardest part because we don't like to be exclusive. We're very inclusive, but we, we you know, we have to start small, but we're, we're so excited. Um, the, the skateboard group has been just uh, fabulous in supporting our young people. Yeah, they are a model of how to get something done. Yes, the they are. They really yes, they are. are. So we're very excited. Leaving and advice. we are excited to offer more opportunities for after-school programming for our middle school students. So we are very lucky that we have an after-school program that enriches students daily schoolwork. We also have sports. So we have soccer. We're, we're going to be implementing basketball. And now we have skateboarding. So... How wonderful. Recreation is huge, isn't it? I mean, it teaches students or it, it lets students know that it's not all about books and homework. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How much of your job recruitment effort involves those positions? Were sports teams, coaches? Oh, yes. I mean, we're always recruiting for coaches. Oh, okay. Again, um, I would just like to remind everybody about how grateful we are to receive such support for schools. I feel very fortunate to serve Carpentry and Summerlin families and students, and um, we continually receive such great support from this community. We're really blessed. And one thing that uh, is a factor in those partnerships and coalitions you make with groups is credibility and legitimacy. Your group is like very huge in that part of our community. It's like if you have the support of the school district, you have a legitimate, worthwhile operation. Mm -hmm. You have to be proud of that. We're very proud. Okay. And we've had our first week of the 22-23 school year. And um, it's been wonderful to see smiles, students smile, staff smiles, and hear the joy of learning. I mean, they're so excited to be in their classrooms and with their friends and with teachers. Everything seems to be in place and heading in the right direction for you. I mean, you're in an envious position. I see why you wanted to do this. It's like it's not like you're struggling and scraping to constantly try to get this support. Carpinteria loves the schools. Yes, they do. And the kids that attend yes, them. Yes, and we are so grateful. Diana Rigby, superintendent of the Carpinteria Unified School District. It's been a delight. Thank you for being on Something to Carp About. Thank you, Dennis. Appreciate it. If you live in Carpinteria or have spent any time there, you've probably noticed not only how friendly it seems, but how clean and nice it looks. That doesn't happen naturally. At the forefront of the effort to keep Carpinteria beautiful is a group that's called just that. My next guest is Volunteer of the Year, Brian Moots. Brian, the name is self-explanatory. We know Carpinteria is beautiful, so tell us how your organization got started. Well, it started about 30 years ago, 1992. Uh, several I would say movers and shakers of the town at the time. Uh, Doc Cardi, who's like the patriarch of the Cardi family. Cardi on the, is on the city council. Dada Jordan, who's on the city council. Uh, Joe Gonzalez, uh, who was actually taking care of a lot of the tagging unofficially. And they got together and they said, this town needs an organization to bring it up to standard. In a way. I, I, that's the wrong way to put it, but up to clean it up. And they started Carp Beautiful. Started with a couple programs, and we now do we do so much. It literally takes up pages, and and I call us we're we're the true local carpenteria carpenterians. We don't have a clubhouse. We use a city hall. We don't have chapters. We don't have conferences. Everything we do is focused in this town. Okay, and we're going to delve into all the wonderful things you guys are up to. So it's basically 
graffiti abatement. If you could point to one single thing that started it, I was would that say it? probably all around beautification. Okay, and that you know that would take care of a lot. You know, picking up trash, planting plants, trees. Um, graffiti abatement was part of it. Yes, oh, that tends to be front of mind because of where it is and right, what right, it represents. Right. Sometimes you're always in the news making improvements around town. And like you just said, it's with a feel that we the people are doing it. And a perfect example is this bus bench project. What a joy. Tell us about that. Well, that started, I believe, about 20 years ago with uh, uh, one of our members and past president, Bill Crowley. And he worked with John Wolbrandt and the Boy Scouts and other volunteers at Cart Beautiful. And even if you could drop, you can even drop in as a uh, citizen and start bus painting. And it was this idea that our bus bench benches could be improved, simply done, make them colorful, and just adds a bit of color and now Ernie Merlon of Muralism has taken over, and uh, we help support him. We help sponsor him, and he has volunteers that are out redoing, I think they're redoing 22 bus benches altogether. Wow, and it's always, it's with a carp kind of flair. Yes, it's always beach-themed. Um, you can see them, you know, they'll be out on the 20th, by the way, next weekend, so you can see them in action. As you actually, we have a team there, and they watch the paint dry, as other people do other steps. So it, it isn't very physical, but it is really great. And that we have Kit, Ernie, and a couple of artists, Christy Schroeder, I think, and they all participate. And Diane Ledbetter of Cart Beautiful participates, and so it's really fun, simple, but it adds a bit of color in these unknown areas when you see it when you pass by. Okay, that's yeah. taking volunteerism to an extreme. You have to watch the paint dry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's not, you know, <laughs> this isn't Philadelphia. It's sunny out, <laughs> and it's nice. So yeah, okay. it's okay. And it takes 45 minutes, so I think we can handle that. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, what types of things are you looking for specifically? What catches your eye and makes you feel like you need to do something? Well, for me personally... Uh, it would be the tagging and the trash. Uh, Carpenter Beautiful, Sally Galati started a group called Trash Mob. And we go out almost every Sunday. And um, we average 10 to 12 bags, Caltrans bags of trash, including auto body parts, furniture, discarded clothing, you name it. We've picked it up and we work with the city and they're really, really cooperative with us. Okay. So. And does this include like beach cleanups and stuff? This will be, yeah, we have members that do beach cleanup, a lot of creeks, uh, on and off ramps. And you'll see us in our yellow vests on Sunday mornings. It just takes a couple hours, two to three hours, but we do pick up a lot of trash. We have a team member, I like to call her Mary Radis in Santa Claus Lane, and her and her family do the same thing, about seven bags of trash. It's a lot of trash, and it just since 2020, this town has come really, really discovered. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people from Los Angeles, and it's good for business. I'm not knocking that. You know, yeah. it's what a beach town is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But unfortunately, quite a few people leave quite a bit of trash behind. Yeah, so you have a little people's army out there. We have a little people's army. That's yeah. so cool. When it comes to graffiti, there's long been the debate that, you know, some graffiti is actually artwork from a frustrated artist. You can usually tell the difference. But with the approach Carp seems to have taken, that artwork is one of our focal points it seems to have taken some of the steam out of somebody wanting to do their own thing and deface a piece of property. How serious a problem is it in 2022? It goes through waves. Uh, it's not, I want to be honest, I don't think it's that serious. Okay. Um, I don't think it's that serious because I've been doing it for so long. Um, also, I go to Los Angeles a lot. Yeah. So to me, when I see something, I want to get it covered up quickly. I, I know what this says. I can read it. I can interpret it mostly. mostly. And But I would say... Now it's not as bad as it was when I first moved here in 2000, 2001. Uh, it's really gotten more, I don't want to say innocent, but it, instead of more carpus type things, it's like love wins or something like that. More artistic. Yes, and, and because we're on it quickly, 
uh, within days, hopefully, um, the tagging that does escape us is, is hidden, mm-hmm. you know, under bridges and the canals and so forth. And we do get that also. Okay. Are there particular areas that are more prone to trash buildup uh, and not knocking anybody on this end either, but I'm thinking like the campground, the RV park, uh, where tourists come in? I would say that um, the biggest area we have is right here in the 150 off-ramp, mm-hmm. uh, the Baylor off and on-ramps. Uh, the end of Carpentry Avenue, the very east end there, where the uh, paragliders and the paraglider, I'm not saying the paragliders are a cause, there, there's so few of them, they're not. The train station and creeks, obviously the uh, Carp Creek, uh, particular uh, along the footpath, and, and trash goes into the in the creek. So those are areas we really concentrate on and parts of Via Real. And I'm going to go on and on and on because there's so many areas that we, we do cover a lot of areas. Right. So, but those are the areas I would say we concentrate on. A lot, and we've gotten cooperation with Caltrans on cleaning up, especially the 150 off ramp. Is there an issue with uh, garbage dumping? People like with a couch or stuff they just don't want to bother to have removed the uh, the traditional there, way. There's always that. In fact, you'll see a lot of times on next door carpenteria a photo of a couch or an easy chair free left on the street, which just drives me crazy. Um, but I would say most of our pickup is refuse trash but we do if we have picked up furniture we will pick up furniture we do see it discarded and we'll take care of it okay yeah the 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 catch being here's a nice sofa or lazy boy for sale but when it doesn't sell they still leave it there they still leave it and then it (laughs) rains or something and it just becomes a mess but you know that's just part of it i mean carpentry beautiful does a lot more and that's why i mentioned it you know our murals are a major major aspect too of our organization yes you find this town okay I started this podcast partly because Carpinteria is at a crossroads in so many ways. How do you see the future shaping up for our little town, both short and long term? That's a big <laughs> That's question. A tough one. I know, yeah. Um, and part of it is, and I, I, it's going to sound strange, but I, I feel my wife and I were part of a, I call it a generational change in Carpinteria. When she moved here in 1992, I moved here in 2000. And we were what I call the, you know, we wanted restaurants to stay open later. We wanted service, you know. Um, big city stuff. Big, yeah, I hate to say it, kind of big city stuff. And yeah. I remember when Sly's open and people were saying this town's not right for Sly's or Sly's isn't right for this town. The town's changing again. Yeah. And I kind of find myself kind of how original Carpenterians would talk about us. Um, and I think what I see the difference is the amount of money in this town I, and from tourists uh, people coming up from Los Angeles. I'm not knocking that. I mean, I, that's good for the economy. It's good for us. We have the marijuana industry. So we do, I think for us, we see we're going to have a housing situation. Either with mandate or non-mandate, we still have that. Prices are are very high. Rental is very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have units going in the condo complex next to us going for 15000 a month. Wow. So that's where we stand. And, uh, but I think our long-term prospects are really good. We have a really proactive city council, always have, and they seem to take care and look at problems far down the road, whether it's uh, global warming, uh, development, what type of development. So as a town, yes, it'll change. Yeah. But I still think it's a viable, beautiful place to live, and it, always, and it will be for a long, long, long time. It's inspiring to me that the council represents how the people really are here. They're very passionate, and, uh, and they've chosen representatives. If you're not going to speak for those people, you're not going to last long. Exactly, <laughs> and that's kind of the small-town thing about carpentry. And one thing I noticed about this city, the first thing I noticed was when you do something, you see the effect. So if you pick up some trash, you see the effect. If you take care of this, 
you'll see the effect. If you put up a mural, you see it. It doesn't get lost in the infrastructure of the city itself, like it would in Los Angeles or even Malibu or other uh, coastal communities. We're not passive about it. No, we're not. We're not. Uh, <laughs> this town is, uh, having lived in a lot of places, uh, this city has really impressed me how many people, how many organizations are who help others in this town. Three Rotary Clubs. I've I never know. lived in a place that has <laughs> three Rotary Girls Incorporated. Three right. Rotary Clubs. Right, yeah. Art Center. Uh, Carberia Beautiful. Yes. And it goes on and on. This town's a really giving, caring city. And I think that comes across when you see the city council. They realize that this is an active population and we do have some concerns and we do want to keep it a certain way. We're not strident, I don't think. Uh, but we are passionate, and there's a difference. Right. So you, you are politically active, but staying very focused on what your mission is. Carpinteria Beautiful as a whole isn't, and we do that on purpose. Um, but individually, yes. And when our meetings, rarely does our politics come in. We do have certain goals, and our simplistic but yet viable uh, bylaws, and simplistic, um, not bylaws, but our motto is keeping Carpinteria clean, green, and beautiful. Yes, it's simple, but it requires a lot of work, and, we, and we're able to do it. And we feel if you have a political stance, that's perfect outside the organization. Okay, or you know, some issues do tie in with what you do. Yes, I would say uh, keeping the bluffs open, uh, the Paradon Project, I believe. Uh, those are two that come to my mind, but others we try to keep neutral as an organization. We talked about the Bus Bench Project. Uh, tell us about your other programs. When you go to the website, uh, carpenteriabeautiful.org, and you click on projects, this very long list of cool-looking stuff comes up. <laughs> it's just amazing. And, you know, I have to uh, commend uh, the founders of Carpentry Beautiful. They gave us a good foundation. So, I mean, we do the murals. We've done murals in the city. Obviously, graffiti abatement, trash pickup, tree planting. We have a memorial plaque program and half the proceeds go to the city to help support tree planting. Uh, we've had the community recycling day. We started that. It started off simply now it's huge. We do murals. We have, um, uh, you name it, bus bench painting. Uh, we are part of uh, uh, with working with muralism and doing the uh, beach house mural at the end of Ash Avenue, the chalk mural during the COVID, the mask masking up uh, chalk murals, and we're doing another one called Resilience. Uh, we have other projects in the pipeline, mostly art-based on this one. Uh, we had our home and garden tour, but because of COVID, that was obviously uh, has been has not come back yet. Okay. Um, but like you said, if you go in, the list is long. And, and it's still long, and we're still doing all, most of it. You know, A lot of it has morphed into something bigger than us. Okay. Yeah. And another thing that's so refreshing, I came from a very large city. I lived in Las Vegas for decades. Right. Uh, what, what's so refreshing here is your, your goals are so focused and positive, they're hard to argue with. There's no infighting with other groups. You know, I come from no, a place, no. like I said, that even with charity groups and, and beneficial organizations, there was always... Uh, some politics going on, somebody at each other's throats, you know, but yeah. I never see that. No, yet. no. And one thing, again, with Carmenary Beautiful, again, that is part of our nature. That is not our interest. We're not in competition with anybody. Uh, I mean, if somebody wants to hand us $10,000, we'll take it, but we'll take it and use it for what we we want, not you know, you might go, what's what we'll do? Because our our mission is Carpinteria. Okay, well, tell us about your funding and, and fundraising and what you do to stay viable. Well, you know, uh, part of the reasons we're viable is that we don't have a, a house, a clubhouse. We don't have this. We don't have charters. We don't have membership fees. Uh, one thing I liked about Carpenter Beautiful when I was working for UPS 60 hours a week 
and coming home at eight o'clock at night. When I joined Carpenter Beautiful, basically when I joined, I showed up, I was a member. And we like it like that. You can come in, you can come to our meetings once a month, second Saturday at City Hall every month, except for summer break, uh, and you're a member. We do have one rule. If you have an idea, it's yours. Okay. So if you say we should paint the canals bright yellow, go to it. It's your project. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and get, form a small committee and go to town. But yes, we, we're not in competition. Um, our funding um, is, in, is important. Uh, we just had a benefit concert uh, at the Alcazar. It didn't bring in a great amount. It brought in about $1,300. But that's more than enough to take care of Don Murrell's heritage uh, uh, mural that was taken down and be brought back up on the eastern facing wall of Bank of, Mil- uh, Bank of America. Uh, we'll have other ideas coming in. And so because of our infrastructure or lack of infrastructure, we're pretty viable. And we do have a pretty good savings account. All right. Yeah. That's and really we, great yeah. to know. And the backbone of everything here is volunteers. So tell us, yeah. how do you get them and what can they expect? Well, again, with us, we're different. And um, I would say our volunteers um, are mostly in their 60s and 70s. I would Really? S- I, yes. Uh, they've been there a long time, mostly. But a few that are younger. And finding volunteers is hard. And I think for us, one of the reasons is because we're not flashy. And we already cover a lot. And so you come in as a volunteer, you're either going to, you know, have an idea, you know, uh, or it's already been done, mm-hmm. and you want to join in. And I, I think that's one of the problems we have with finding volunteers is if we're not a flashy organization. Uh, we're very down to earth and, and trying to get somebody 25 years old, that's hard to do. But talking to the head of Caltrans Public uh, Relations Outreach, Renee, she finds most of her volunteers that she's happy with and most of the volunteers she has up and down the state are in her 60s. I see. And just, it's just the way it is. That's the name of the game. I see. Yeah. Uh, the website's very well done. Uh, I don't know who you lean on for that or, or, or if that's a consideration, Thank you. but our it's extremely Facebook, well done. We're on done. Instagram and Facebook also. Uh, Steve Sullivan does the website, and I hope he doesn't mind, but he, I know he's ill. And he's fallen behind a bit, but he's ill. And I always wish him the best, and there's no pressure. But yeah, he does a good job. And people can sign up to volunteer there? Yes, or on our Facebook. Okay. Yeah, uh, I would go up Facebook. Um, we have a pretty good following. Yeah, if you want to join us, or starting in September, we'll have our monthly meetings at City Hall the second Saturday each month. The website is carpenteriabeautiful.org. Yeah. Right. Find out everything you want and volunteer there. Right. And for my money, there maybe should be an equal sign in there. Carpenteria equals beautiful. And, and it's thanks to your organization and all your hard work and, and uh, all that army of volunteers. I'm so impressed. Thank you for being on Thank the you. And podcast. I might take you up on that. I like that tagline. <laughs> <laughs> that was worth the interview right there. <laughs> Best of luck to you, Brian. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a good morning. All right. Finally, the slow grind of progress in cannabis legalization continues. To bring us up to date, we return to our conversation with the host of In My Grow, one of the world's leading cannabis podcasts. Happy to welcome Alex Robles back to the podcast. The Carpinteria area will soon have its own dispensary along Santa Claus Lane there just over the county line. What advice would you give the operators given the heated nature of the debate over legal growing here in CARP? Santa Claus Lane is over the county line. Yes. That makes sense on why they're opening it. Yep. Ah. <laughs> Aha. And, you know, there are indications, there are rumblings behind the scenes that uh, that wall could be broken down here within the city limits 
maybe sooner than we think. Uh, but, you know, don't hold your breath or anything, but it is not such an impossible rock-solid thing. And, and so this is like the first in our area. Yeah, I think after like the first year of operation, that dispensary, the chat of a dispensary in the town of Carpinteria should get louder just because of the tax revenue involved in general. And um, do they have the parking for all those people? Yes, they they, act, they actually do. Yes, uh, they're on top of the project. They have faced challenge after challenge and beaten them. Uh, somebody filed a complaint with the Coastal Commission. Coastal, they said no problem with this, and it's it's moving forward. What I think they should do is advertise as much as they can on your station and mine. <laughs> I love it. And, um, you know, really get that, that curated cannabis audience to come out and support them. Yeah, <laughs> that is the that internet, is a shameless folks. plug. Yeah, but, no, uh, no FCC uh, restrictions. No FCC. You can advertise you, the product you, you can have a uncensored conversation. Like anything, the biggest thing in cannabis um, is educating the public. How you do that's the challenge, you know, because one thing, it's a good thing to have those direction labels on a cannabis product, on any product, but education is key either because you're going to have very well-educated staff members because they're the ones really who are going to be making contact with the general public. They're the ones who are going to be answering the questions. Mm -hmm. So their education is really key. You know, um, another thing that ties along with education and ties along with seeing you at the Flower Fest because that was a good fucking time is actually having cannabis events outdoors mm -hmm. because see what I've seen, how I understand it, you know, live events help education because if we take beer, for instance, let's take a beer festival. People come out Oktoberfest, people come out, they sample different beers. They get to talk to the brewmasters. They get to, if lay people are there, they get to understand and ask questions about how fermentation happens. Very basic things to the very, upper thinking questions about how beer is made by some connoisseur, mm -hmm. you know, but you have that range of contact. And at the same time, you're also selling more alcohol. Nothing wrong with that. I get it. Those kind of same festivals, the same kind of things are happening. You know, people who are either connoisseurs get to go in, talk to the growers, understand and have a conversation with them. Lay people get to go there, have a conversation with the growers as well and ask them very basic questions also. And at the same time, more cannabis is sold as well. You yeah. know? And also another thing that happens at these festivals, especially with a new thing like cannabis that helps educate the public, is it gives them a place to consume cannabis, which helps them understand their limitations. Because that's really part of education is understanding your own personal limitations. Yeah. You know, because... How, how a beer is going to affect me is very different than how a beer is going to affect you. Very true. You know, and it's, it's one thing for the law and the man to say, this is too much for you. It's another thing for you to know, well, nah, you know what, this is too much for me. This right. much right. is just right. You know, and that I think um, is one thing that the new dispensary should think of is hold, it's finding a way to hold an event. Like that. And since it's on the county line, it might be easy. They're not in town, but they could draw all of Carpinteria in. Right. 
Right, you know? and and the one we're talking about was a Port Wyneme. Ventura County is one of the, one of the two communities in Ventura County that's friendly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, so another example of that. And did I hear you correctly on another podcast? There's another one coming in September. There's another flower fest coming in September, September 10th and 11th, same place in Port Wyneme, um, on Port Wyneme Beach. Uh, the great thing is there. Um, that same Saturday, September 10th, which is really going to be cool, they're all they're having a, uh, it's called the Roots 805 Jam. All right. Which is like a little reggae festival. All right. So they're having it at the Port Wyneme Pavilion. The crazy thing is at the pavilion, legally, they don't allow you to consume cannabis. But you go right across the street to the flower fest. You can get in, go buy your weed, smoke it there, get nice and baked, go back to the you know, the Roots Jam. Nice. It's a full day, man. I'm looking at it like, fuck, I'm going to be tired going back and forth, man. <laughs> Work off that buzz. You know, by the time I go back to the band, I'll be like, damn it, my weed wore off. <laughs> Just a couple more questions for you. Uh, there is a hearing in Sacramento very soon on AB 2188. Uh, that's a bill that says workers cannot be discriminated against for using cannabis on their own time. It looks like it's going to pass, and that would take effect at the start of 2024. Just that kind of thing tells us a new age is upon us, even if it's taking forever to come fully into view. First of all, it's about time for California. Yeah. Um, I'm all for it. I'm happy about it. It just annoys me that it took so long because we've had medical cannabis since 96. Um, But it's a great thing. You know, it's a great thing that you can't be fired for coming up dirty on a test. You know, Um, it's a great thing to where moving forward or, or, or getting a better position in a company isn't going to be stopped because you use cannabis or celebrate with it. Let's call it coming up positive on a test. That too. Come, <laughs> I like that. Coming up positive. Let's see. Instead of dirty. No, instead of, you know, coming... Because look, the whole reason how I, how I feel, the whole reason why people, why companies drug test is to weed out the pot smokers. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to find, typically, you're not going to find the cocaine in there. Because cocaine runs through your body in like two days. Woo! Love cocaine. Okay. You know, cannabis, it's a little different. Cannabis, you know, your body needs it. It hangs on. The fat cells hang on to it. It's going to be a while. So, anyways, it just goes along with the whole propaganda that cannabis is worse than everything else. Yeah. yeah. But um, I I think that law passing um, is going to be a good thing all the way around. You know, it's also going to reshape the conversations that unions have with how they hire tradespeople. You know, because, I mean, unions are a great thing for community. Unions are a great thing for workers, you know, and if that allows them to cast a wider net for eligible people, Mm -hmm. I think that's a great thing, you know. Yeah. And I hope, I haven't looked at the details of it, but I hope that includes first responders, police, firefighters, ambulance personnel, because there are some states who have legal cannabis, I believe New Jersey is one of them, that have excluded first responders from being able to use cannabis. I have a friend who works for a law enforcement agency yeah. under an umbrella, a very large law enforcement agency, and um, not allowed. Uh, yeah. Employees, as of now, even though with legal recreational cannabis, not allowed. Yeah, and I think that's, it just sounds like a lot of fear, and I can I can understand. It's like continuing to fight the war after it's been lost. Well, it's also, 
seems really unfair because a lot of the people who could use the stress relief and use new and different um, ways of having coping mechanisms, because that's really what we're talking about, especially in those high stress situations, is how, how good are your coping mechanisms? You know, I can say, yeah, I'd love to be an EMT, but after like a week, I think I'm done. Yeah. You know, uh, unless you have really strong coping mechanisms. And if if you're going to exclude your first responders from something that could be less harmful, I'm not saying that weed has no side effects, that nothing bad is going to happen, but we're talking about harm reduction at this point. And if you're going to take that off the table for people to take something that's less harmful to help them cope with the stress of what they do during the day for us, you know, of how they help our community. I think that's a half measure. We are mutual partners with Cannabis by the Sea magazine. And in their most recent edition, a very enlightening article showing that the worldview maybe is starting to shift and change as well. Thailand, which used to execute people for drug offenses, now handing out medicinal plants one to each family. Over what? What were they? Over like a million plants they handed out, I believe. How progressive is that? That that is that is really awesome. Um, I, I I give Thailand a huge round of applause, man. Um, even if taking aside what what's available to be sold, mm-hmm. okay, because that that's that's a different little different conversation that we can have in a minute. But the fact that Thailand is giving away plants to anyone who wants to grow, to anybody who wants it is amazing for medicinal purpose. They say, I don't care if it, every, you know, some people say all cannabis use is medicinal. I get it. We're all stressed. Yeah. And like you said, for Thailand, which is a big deal in Asia itself, because Thailand had the most restrictive and rigid anti-cannabis laws. And for that country to set the example is, is really going to be an impact on the other Asian countries, just like the way Germany embracing cannabis is a really big deal in Europe. Yeah. You know? I had to do a double take. That, wait a minute. Yeah. Is yeah. The same and, Thailand and, I remember? That- and they're, they're using like the food truck model um, to sell it legally, you know, for people to have a business. Now, from how I understand it, what is able to be sold legally to tourists and the regular people for recreation, they're only allowed to have 0.2% THC. Oh, wow. So it's a little bit like hemp. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. But I mean, look, man, you're talking about, like you said, 10 years ago, they were cutting people. So they were hanging people. Yeah. For and cannabis. I'm still wondering, and I'm still unclear as to whether if somebody was to say, get their plant and then start a little operation and grow a bunch of it, start to sell it, they're probably subject to those same draconian laws. Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. I don't know how sweeping this is for them to be handing out the plants, but I'm, I'm well, wondering I, if there's a downside. It's like you can have this, but this is all you can have. Yeah, that I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean from how I understand it, if you're going to grow on any kind of level to pro- for production, you have to get a special license. You, have, you know, we have to become a company, but... I mean, is it going to be easier for black market weed to pop up? I'm sure it is. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I'm sure it is. Hopefully they don't overreact in the overcorrection and start executing people again over a plant. That's the very question I'm asking. You know, it's, um, it's speculation. Oh, sure. Yeah. No. And then, you know, speculation's a fun place to be, man. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, it, it's a slippery slope. Well, okay. It's, let me, let me put it this. Not a slippery slope, but it's going to be a hard thing to regulate as far as what is cannabis and what is hemp or what is 
0.2% THC and what is 15%. Yeah. Because as far as my experience, I couldn't tell you the difference between a plant like that by looking at it. You know, even hemp and cannabis. I mean, hemp for like medicinal use in cannabis. Yeah. They're very similar by the look, the feel, the smell. You know, you have to get a little bit scientific to understand, oh, no, that one's hemp. That one's not going to get you high. Mm -hmm. You know, so again, yeah, it's I don't know. Yeah, how do you regulate that? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, hopefully I make it to Thailand and uh, (laughs) or when I make it to Thailand, it's going to be a good time. We're going to figure it out. I want to see what's going on, man. You've left me a perfect segue. I have a cannabis plant that I'm growing legally here in Santa Barbara County. So I wanted to take a little trip outside with you to check it out. Okay. All right, let's go. Yeah, let's take a look. And out we go. On. Nice sunny day out here on the east end of Carpinteria and um, heading out to my little garden out back with Alex to take a look at this beauty. I mean, look at this thing. I planted in May, as you wow. advised me to do. I measured it this morning. It is 45 inches tall. Uh, as you can see, most of the leaves bigger than our hands. Um, and, and it's uh, uh, very noticeably different than the plant I grew last year, which had kind of a purple thing and was a very skinny little thing. What do you make of this? Look at the stem. I mean, this is a a robust plant. You got like nine, ten blades on each big leaf. No, they're beautiful. See, right now it's still, we're just getting into the, just past the summer solstice. So this is the vegetative vegetative time of year outdoors for a plant. Okay. So they're just going to grow, grow, grow. Whereas the clones that I gave you was kind of later in the year. So as soon as they went outside, um, it was a different, I believe it was already fall. So as soon as they went outside and saw the, the, the season, yeah, uh, yeah, they just started when it went into flower because it was so late. It matters a lot when you plant. It does. It does. You know, and this, you know, because this is going to keep growing and it's not going to flower till probably late August, early wow. September. Wow. Um, and, and the fact that it's in ground, it's really going to get big. If you, uh, I, I love it. I love in ground plants. But if you ever want to control the size of a plant, put it in a pot. Okay. Because it can only get so big because the root get, system. Exactly. Okay. Got exactly. you. Whereas in ground, you can wind up with a washing machine. Okay. Now I, I've read High Times my whole life, like you, yeah. and, and uh, I, as you can see, I've been snipping off the very large leaves at the bottom yep. to help drive the resin to the top. Is yep. that a good thing? No, that's a good thing also because most of the time, any any kind of growth, you know, below, let's say right now, the six inches, yeah. it's not really going to get a lot of sun. It's not. Um, it's really not going to develop as much. All it's going to do, like you said, is just take away nutrients from the top growth. Okay, well, this has so much going. You see the bottom two here, I'm, I'm hesitant to cut because there's there's action up at the top of, the, of each of these branches down here at well, the bottom. Well, what you can do is you can clip these off Ah, here, gotcha. Yeah, and yeah. And that will drive the energy to these tops. Okay, okay. You know, if you cut what's called the lower larf. All right. You know, these little just because, again, they're, they're getting so much shade. They're not going to develop in anything but a sad little nug that you're going to be like, why am I cleaning this? <laughs> okay. You know, but you, clip right. the, you know, you clip these little ones off and it drives all that energy up to these tops. Okay. Well, let me ask you, right next to it, you see there's this monster potato plant. This thing yeah. came out of nowhere. Uh-huh. And you see it's huge. I do. And I've had to cut the vines back so it doesn't encroach on the cannabis plants. Mm-hmm. Um, my question to you is, should you be mindful of when you plant cannabis where you have fruits and vegetables and other things going? Does it matter? Can it ever be a bad thing? 
Um, you know, I've, I've I've grown my cannabis with my tomatoes a lot. Doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a bad thing. I've always heard they're in the same family of yeah, plants. They anyway. are. They're yeah. on the same family, and I don't know why they just wind up with the tomatoes, but they just do. Um, no, it looks fine. I couldn't tell you about the potatoes themselves. Just, um, yeah, they look okay. You, you just also want to understand the watering because everything is since the potatoes are also producing something right that's that was my concern but i mean the proof isn't this monster plant right next to it isn't it doesn't seem to be hurting at all it it doesn't i don't think it's gonna be a problem keep doing what you're doing all right you know we were discussing before we started rolling uh on this interview how the worldview is also changing because of the newest generations coming up and how less likely they are to have had the reefer madness stuff drummed into their heads that we were and the generations before us. You can't discount that. I mean, uh, the, the negative voices are, are waning away. It seems like the numbers are shifting toward, well, here it is. It's not going away, and mm-hmm. it's not this evil thing. Whereas the vast majority of people were raised that way from our generations. Yeah, it seems it seems that the um, the prohibitions are having a harder and harder time with this conversation. Right. Um, because yes, it is one thing. Because especially here, in all the states that went legal in the last fifteen years, let's say you know Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado, you know we we now have this whole generation of young people of twenty somethings coming of age, where they don't know what cannabis prohibition is. Yeah. Or even even cannabis friendly households, yeah, which was cannabis really friendly rare. households. You yeah. know, even if in their state they only had medical, it had to be talked about in a different way, I, and that's what I mean. Also, that's also part of the education is we have to develop a new new vocabulary to talk about cannabis, because we can't just talk about cannabis as this like we do with heroin and other things on Schedule One. Still, you know, don't ask me why it's bad; just don't do it. It's that that conversation doesn't work anymore. You know, we have to have a different vocabulary to talk to them about the realities, what they know about cannabis, and the questions they're going to have. Let's take alcohol for example. You know, when we talk, when I talk about this, is that a lot of adult people have this conversation with young people about alcohol. Don't do it because you're too young. Okay, you don't tell them why not to do it. You don't tell them the kind of things that will happen to it when they're young, to a young brain. One, one word, bad. Yeah, right, exactly, bad. Why don't I do it? Do, you know, because I'm telling you not to. But the moment they turn 21, alcohol is everywhere in every social situation. And now we're asking them to know how to deal with that situation without any background. And a lot of young people, you know, have a hard time with it. You know, bad things happen to it, whether, you know, they have unintended consequences. You know, because, again, they've never been exposed to it. And that's the flaw. That's why we have to talk to young people differently about cannabis when they ask, well, why is it bad for you as a young person? It's because it, it affects how you learn. You know, for one thing, we don't know how completely it affects a developing brain. You mm-hmm. know, it does affect how young minds mature, you know, how they deal with emotional stress. And that's how we need to talk about it with young people about it, especially if they're only doing it for recreational. Yeah. And then you still have to talk about have the uncomfortable conversation of why you shouldn't do concentrates. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've only recently reached a place where we're looking into the physiological effects because even the research was was yeah. banned under the reefer madness. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then and then we have to have the 
And then we have to come up with a way to talk to the older generation who for their whole lives, it's all been cannabis, weed is bad. Yeah. That's ingrained in them because the older we get, the more we get set in our ways. So how do we convince them that it may help with this arthritic thing you have going on in your body? Or it's not the evil that you thought it was. Mm-hmm. You know, here, here's some of the science. And that's all part of the education part. Yeah. And we're getting the information. Like I said, long yeah. last, we weren't even allowed to have information yeah. that was objective. Well, that, you know, it's like I was saying earlier. I mean, I think a big thing that helps us have the conversation with young people or the, have, or the young people used to have the conversation is the fact that they have the internet. Right. You know, because before when you and I were kids, you know, the narrative was controlled by the people who wanted to control the narrative. You know, you could only get information in certain places. And like you said, all, most of the time it was all like, it's bad. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, you couldn't even study it, which has really, really affected us not being able to study it because speaking of older people, now we have to understand, okay, we have to talk with older people about how cannabis may interact with drugs they're using, you, prescription drugs, mm-hmm. you know, because cannabis... Prescription drugs have one active ingredient, typically, or, you know, that's it, is, is one, that is the one active ingredient, okay, for prescription drugs. Cannabis has hundreds of active ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, if we take THC and CBD alone, THC is known as, I believe it's a pharmo, pharmodynamic kind of drug, meaning that it changes the way it affects us, you know, meaning that it... When we take THC with another drug, it's going to change the way that other drug affects us. Yeah. CBD has a farm, like a pharmacokinetic, and I know I'm butchering this, but I am not a pharmacist <laughs> or a doctor, but look it up. It sounds like a, a, a legitimate <clears throat> word. It's, it's like pharma or pharmacokinetic, but it, CBD, what, how that changes other drugs, it, that changes how it's absorbed in our bodies. Uh-huh. And we're just learning this. Yeah. And that's because, again, like you were saying, we didn't, we weren't even able to study the plant. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a great kind of crossroads to be at right now because just the have to, having to figure out how we're going to educate about this as we're learning about it. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. It really is. I always feel like I know as much as I can know about cannabis after I talk to you. I know I don't. I, but, nobody uh, does. You give me that feeling, and uh, and I hope, listeners, you've enjoyed it the same way. Alex Robles, he is the host of In My Grow, the podcast that's run every day on CarpenteriaValleyRadio.com and GreenCoastRadio.com. Ooh, Green it's Coast Radio. Awesome little radio station. Yeah, Green Coast Radio, man. It is the best mix of music and cannabis content on the internet. All right. Thanks yeah. so much, Alex. Good to talk to you, and we'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks. I appreciate it, man. My thanks again to Carpinteria Unified School District Superintendent Diana Rigby. Go to CUSD.net for more information that includes job openings. Brian Moots brings the same energy you heard here to Carpinteria Beautiful. Find out more and volunteer at CarpinteriaBeautiful.org. And Alex Robles keeps the flame burning at InMyGrowShow.Libsyn.com and GreenCoastRadio.com. Something to Carp About is now available wherever you get your podcasts, including Stitcher, Podomatic, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're sponsored by Pacific Prairie Productions, specializing in radio syndication and podcast production. Call 805-500-3144. 
Talk to you next time. I'm Dennis Mitchell. Mm-hmm.